Hey, who made you a disc jockey? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. It's episode 169, dude. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Ooh, <laughs> hey, fun fact. It was yeah. either yesterday or today, Keanu Reeves turned 53 years old. What? <laughs> John Wick is, is two years away from being an AARP. Apparently. <laughs> John Wick, everybody. Now put your hands together for the man who's falling apart before our eyes. I mean, I wasn't in that good shape when I was 22, <laughs> so that's not, that's not the appropriate sound clip. But It's just one of those things. I, I read that, and I was like, damn. <laughs> yeah, it's a... <laughs> It's very weird. It is, because there's a part of me that's always only ever going to think of Keanu Reeves as Bill. Uh, yeah, or the, the dopey kid like, from Parenthood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all I have in my head. And every year that goes by, it just feels weirder and weirder. Yeah. Oh, what the hell? I don't got that long a lifespan anyway. <laughs> With the way the weather is, I don't think we're going to make it through another year at this point. It is the way the weather is. I'm pretty sure we're all going to stop aging because we're we're just going to be frozen in place. Yeah, it has <laughs> been pure fucking hell in Boston for the last, particularly the last two weeks, but like the yeah. last month, we didn't have a, a show uh, during the Christmas holiday because I was traveling visiting my folks in Florida, and I left 78 degrees and landed on Hoth. It was just. <laughs> awful it's we we heat the home office in large part with a pellet stove and if you're not familiar it's a thing you stick in your fireplace and you pour they they compress sawdust and garbage wood into like pellets and you pour them in the top and that heats the house and i've gone through a ton and that's not a A literal ton yeah yeah that's not a oh i drank a ton of beer and threw up it's a literal two thousand fucking pounds of (laughs) Fucking sawdust wood pellets since December 1st. It's fucking ridiculous. It's cold out. I mean, usually we get these cold snaps and they happen maybe starting like, say, the middle of January. We'll get them, but they'll be like a weekend. Yeah, a day or two. Yeah. This one has been a prolonged fucking two-week just... It has not gone above freezing (laughs) since I came back from Florida right after Christmas. And it's not supposed to go above freezing for another couple of days. And yeah. in the meantime, we also had like 18 inches of fucking snow and yeah. blizzard-type winds. We intended to do a show last Thursday, except it was a blizzard, and we were not certain we would maintain power to be able yeah. to record the fucker. We got, we got lucky. There were several communities right around us that lost power for a couple of days. Uh, yeah, we uh, we had the lights flicker a few times. It's like, yeah, maybe we don't want to strap in. Number one, <laughs> maybe in zero degrees and 50 mile an hour winds, we don't want to go down to the basement recording studio, which is where we are now. It's what, maybe five degrees outside right now, maybe 10. Maybe. And uh, I've got the heat all the way up down here, and it's uh, 63. It's been all... Uh, let's, let's let's just say, we've got the heat all the way up. The, the thermostat goes to 75 or 80. 78. 78. Okay, so you've got it all the way up. It's been on for two hours. Yes. It's 63 degrees down here. Yep. <laughs> and that's that's as good as it's going to get. <laughs> it's an uncomfortable situation, but... We promised these scumbags a show. <laughs> so, <laughs> and we are still working on the, the crises awards. We're still yes. trying to rope together some guests, so that'll hopefully be by the end of January. <laughs> we'll try to do it for next week. Yeah. We'll we'll see. It's we'll a, see. If we can't rope in the guests, we'll just do it ourselves. Sure. It's been working out for us. 
such as things are. Yeah. <laughs> and we had high high hopes for what this episode would be. Amanda tried like hell to get me caught up on Runaways, which I know you've watched all of them now. I've missed uh, yeah. the last two or three uh, Marvel's Runaways on Hulu, which... yeah, Unexpectedly good. Yeah, I saw the first couple episodes and just have not had a chance to catch back up. So yeah, we had to scratch that off. Uh, and, and also, if you are not watching this season of Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., holy fuck... Yeah, it's uh, holy fuck. I have had uh, actual professional day job related things I've been doing. So over my shoulder in the background. At one point, I went to bed early, and you woke me up with a "Holy shit!" I'm like, "What? What's on fire? <laughs> have the pipes burst?" It's like, "Oh no! It's just, it, it, this character did this thing." I'm like, "Okay, I got to go to work tomorrow." Yeah. But... I'm debating how much I want to get into this because I know we have other things that we want to talk about. And I, but I, I can't, I can't address most of it. I haven't seen any of them from. That's this okay. Season well, yet. we'll save it till you get caught up. Okay. So, uh, but I if do... anybody wants to, like, just you know, Gmail me, Crisis on Infinite Midlives um, at Gmail dot com <laughs> to talk about Marvel Agents of Shield this season. Holy fuck! <laughs> it's a we watched last season. Finally, we did catch up on that, and that wound that ended pretty solidly. Yeah, uh, I like that a lot. But yeah, I just have not caught up on the new one yet. So yeah, all these uh, nerd culture-related shows just haven't... Uh, Amanda's watched all of them. And said, all right, I'm ready to talk about them. Except, like, for, I, except for Gotham. Gotham just sits there and languishes on the TV. Yeah. <laughs> Batman without Batman is still... <laughs> and I've got like the last season of... Uh, what's it called? That one with the clones and Tatiana What's-Her-Face. Oh, Orphan Black. Thank you, yes. <laughs> yeah, I... I enjoyed that a lot the first season or two, and then I just got confused because it's <laughs> there. There was a there, there are many of them. <laughs> yeah, and they all look alike, and that's, that's sort of the point. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's the problem. It's, there was a suburban bitchy one, and <laughs> punk one, and scientist one, and uh, there was dude one for a while. That didn't work out too well. Russian killer one. Uh, yeah, insane Russian killer. Yeah, I, I just I lost track of all. Feral of it. child one. Yeah. <laughs> So those are the same. <laughs> Dopey, Doc, just everywhere. I Complicit. couldn't keep track of them. <laughs> Collaborator. <laughs> so there's a lot of them, yeah, we intended to do. So yeah, we just didn't get to it. So it's going to be comics this week, which in its own way will be somewhat refreshing. Yes. Uh, one of them is going to be two or three weeks old. I have to talk about Doomsday Clock too. It's a burning need. He's been he's been sitting on this. It, it came out while I was uh, traveling and... <laughs> You know, just to give an idea, when we did the last De- Jedi show with four guests two yes. weeks ago, I had five pages of notes going into that show, and I've got three pages of notes on Doomsday Clock too. <laughs> we'll close the show with that because be we... afraid, Jeff Johns, be very afraid. Oh, he, please, <laughs> he can buy and sell me. He, <laughs> he doesn't give a shit what a couple of dopes shivering in their basement say about the, his take on Watchmen. Jeff, if I buy you a case of Lucky Charms, will you stop this? <laughs> hey, Jeff, look, it's a uh, Silk Spectre. Get away from her, you bitch! Just step away. We'll get to it. We're going to close out the show with that one. I've decided. Go ahead and put that on the bottom. I'm, I'm convinced that's the only reason anybody's listening to this particular episode. Yeah. <laughs> So you want to just get get into it now sure. that we've uh, complained about the cold? Let's do this. Enough. Uh, let's let's we'll do a sandwich of bad, good, good, bad. <laughs> not to give away <laughs> what we're dealing with with Doomsday Clock. Um, so what are we starting with? Uh, it's I, I believe we have to start. And for once, you and I are in agreement on this particular title: Batman Thirty Eight, 
uh, written by Tom King, art by Travis Moore and Julia, G-I-U-L-I-A. What kind of parents would name their kid that? Brusco? Yep, on colors. Yes. Uh, no, inks, I think. Nope, says colors. Oh, color, all right. Inks is Travis Moore. Okay. He does pencils and inks. I say again. What kind of parents would name their kid that? That's the important thing for me. <laughs> Yeah, we have sort of this interlude in uh, the Super Friends story arc where we had a couple of really solid issues of Superman and Batman with Lois Lane and Catwoman sort of interacting and cementing what their friendship means in the post-DC Rebirth reboot. Yes. Uh, There's going to be another Super Friends issue in two weeks uh, with Batman and the nature of his relationship with Wonder Woman. I think they're going to go to Central Perk for that one. Oh, (laughs) Perhaps. <laughs> it's a terrible joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> you should feel bad. All I'm seeing is a lovely Tim Sale cover that's going to waste on a pile of hot garbage. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, <laughs> the issue is called The Origin of Bruce Wayne, and so we're dealing with, we got a kid whose parents get murdered, so Bruce Wayne steps in to help him out sort of on an official financial level. We're going to spoil this. Yeah, um, although <laughs> it's kind of hard to do. <laughs> Spoil is a relative term. Yeah, but we've got Batman also investigating the murder, and then there are subsequent similar murders of sets of parents. Uh, Yeah, spoilers only to find out that it was the kid all along in some weird, deranged effort to try to turn himself into Bruce Wayne. Because children are deaf. Yeah. um, I'm generally on board with Tom King on Batman in a way that you are not, Amanda. No. Uh, No. You have a... Made emo Batman almost a catchphrase on this show. I I appreciate that Tom King wants to do these psychological deep dives of his various subjects, uh, be they human or android or from apocalypse. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. However, after a certain point, and I've said this before, I'm seeing, if not necessarily the same story, the same approach in every single frigging book, and this particular one was some of the most heavy-handed bullshit that I've seen in some time. <laughs> Don't hold back. Well, no, it gets into, oh, you know, at the end of the day, this kid who wants to be Bruce Wayne is just a sad, fucked-up little boy who lost his parents. You know who else is a sad, fucked-up little boy who lost his parents? Who? Who is it? Batman. I got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, this particular issue, I think, was uh, a misstep to be charitable about it. Uh, yes, King is clearly going for a, oh, Batman's dangerously close to, at any given time, he could have become one of the maniacs that he, you know, he chases down. But it, doing it in this kind of heavy-handed manner of, you know, oh, this maniac just wants to be Bruce Wayne, huh? huh? Yeah, like you said, sort of an elbow to the ribs. Huh? You see what I'm getting at? We already fucking knew it. That's the entire point of the killing joke. Yeah. Now, that the only difference between Batman and the Joker was how they handled one bad day. So the point King is going for here is at least 30 years old in explicit comic books. And has been mined by others. It has been, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not on new territory here. That in and of itself is kind of a problem. I can understand the temptation to do that. I think anybody you know who has high artistic goals for writing Batman will hit things like that. I mean, (laughs) Alan Moore's about as good as you can get. Sure. And certainly that's the place he went with it. The biggest problem I had with this is the story in no way 
on a plot level, just doesn't hold up if you stop and think about it for more than a couple minutes. So not only is it, all right, I get where you're laying down and it's old, it's like, then you stop and think, it's like, none of this works. None of this hangs together. None of it really makes any goddamn sense at all. Yeah, I mean, you have certain points where it's like, oh, you know, Bruce and, and Selena are getting involved as civilians. Are they going to adopt this screwed up child? No. <laughs> like, like, yeah, no. He's uh, he's spending an extended period of time in Arkham. Yeah. But it's it's not even that. The, the whole plot that this kid Matthew tries to put into place to become Bruce Wayne doesn't work and requires leaps in logic and particular things to happen to even remotely... The, okay, Matthew basically orders his butler, Taylor, to kill his parents so he can experience the same loss as Bruce Wayne. Okay, so the butler, Taylor, does this... Why? For what reason? Yeah. What is his purpose behind it? I mean, you can... Well, it's not even like the kid knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. No, this is purely about he wants to be Bruce Wayne. He sees Bruce Wayne overcoming this loss and becoming a uh, philanthropist. Who gets chicks. Yeah, who gets laid a lot. <laughs> that's, that's, no, seriously, he has all, like, you know, you see you in the papers with the, with all those women, but you're also really nice, too. Oh, so, yeah. Is it, this kid wants to get laid. Well, I mean, he's what, 11, 12? It's, Kill my parents so I can get laid. I think I tried to fuck a roll of duct tape when I was that age. It's, it, I, I didn't have the resources to have a butler who would apparently God, kill on my... God, didn't you at least have socks? Uh, I, was, I was adventurous. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want from me? 102 uses. <laughs> no, it didn't work. It's the one thing duct tape failed at. <laughs> failed fairly miserably. I don't... I... Just going to leave that there. Skin grafts. Anyway. Oh, God. I, no, I went too far. <laughs> but uh, Seriously, why would Butler go murder my parents? Why? You can kind of extrapolate. He has the one scene with Batman where he says, oh, I have control of Matthew's family's money now. I'm the executor. But let's say that's really why he did it, to, to get the money. Why didn't he just tell Batman, oh, yeah, Matthew asked me to do it. I'm a killer for hire. Don't feed me to... Literally, Batman has him in a lion's cage. He's yeah. implying that he's going to allow lions to eat this poor, dopey Alfred wannabe, and he keeps Matthew out of it, at least on the first run. Why leave him out of it? You, yeah. This, you think this is your one chance to fucking confess and have Batman save you? Tell Batman the truth, <laughs> one would think. So... That's the first problem. Why is this butler even willing to go along with this just to kill these two people? Now, on top of that, Matthew apparently also gets the butler, Taylor, to agree to kill Mr. Zaz's parents. And he... Yeah. He, he's, Matthew somehow gets Zaz to confess by sending Zaz a letter with a bunch of anagrams and hidden messages in it to, to tell him, oh, uh, whoever I am, I killed your parents... Uh, because they're your parents. That seems like a good way to get a bunch of super villain villains to come after you. It, it seems like a good way for nothing whatsoever to happen. It's fucking stupid. Yeah. It doesn't make any goddamn sense at all. And here's the first problem. Mr. Zaz's parents are already fucking dead. Yeah. It's part of his origin story. They died in a boating accident. Zaz himself said it in Batman Chronicles 3 back in like the early mid-90s. 
So there are no parents to kill, but okay, let's pretend DC well, it's, Rebirth. it's Rebirth, yeah. Yeah, okay, fine. They're somehow still alive for some reason. Um, but also, Mr. Zaz was never meant to be like a super genius, you know, Riddler or no. Joe, you know, super criminal. He's a hired gun. Yeah, it's not even he's a hired gun. He's a, he's a nihilist. Mm. He thinks, you know, oh, people are suffering. Uh, the world is nothingness, so I may as well kill people to release them from the pain of living. Right. That's that's basically his motivation. Whereas here, continuing in the emo Batman theme, he cuts himself to feel. Yeah, but that is <laughs> that is canon, and the cutting is one for every victim. Yeah, but this takes on this whole like nihilist connotation of this is the only way I can feel. Yes, particularly in this one, since he didn't actually kill the parents. The right. whole point is to try and frame Zaz for being the one who murdered Matthew's parents. So, but I'm getting ahead of myself because it doesn't make any fucking sense. I'm just really worried <laughs> that like Tom King and Gerard Way or something are, are just having these deep conversations and we're going to see like fucking My Chemical Romance or some bullshit in one of these books in the in the near future. And it's going to be like, oh, you know, he wore his Batman hoodie for days and didn't change it. He's so brave. Like, I don't... <laughs> oh, yeah, get My Chemical Romance in because it's DC and they want to... Promote synergy! Jesus. <laughs> I, I even put my hand up to sort of indicate. Amanda jumped like I just zapped her with a taser. But no, I was worried that you had some like chemical romance thing cute. I was... <laughs> I've never heard of my chemical romance song in my life. I'm 40-something years old. I'm not the target demographic. I want to buy all the parties involved here fucking black eyeliner and be done with them at this point. <laughs> so, all right. So the whole, Matthew's whole plan is to... Send this hidden message laden, basically junk mail, like religious yeah. sneaker tract. <laughs> yeah, to not only Zaz, but everybody else in Arkham. And it's, yeah, loaded with these anagrams. And yeah, Zaz is not, he's not the fucking Riddler. He's a nihilist. <laughs> so, I mean, this thing looked like junk mail from a religious nut. I mean, when the Jehovah's Witnesses come to our door, I close it. I don't subscribe to the Watchtower to check it for clues to the Kennedy assassination <laughs> or the why Prince overdosed or anything like that. It's I don't think that way. Neither would Zaz. So he, he probably wouldn't even read this thing. But on top of that, for any of this plan to work, all of these things which happen in the book would have to happen. If not, if one of them doesn't happen, then none, none of, them of this ha- works. Yeah. He he has to read this anonymous religious junk mail, and he has to puzzle out. Two anagrams. Oh, wait, you, you skipped a step. Okay. He has to read this email. Two, he has to give a shit. Uh, okay, so he has to pick it up, <laughs> read it, read it, give a shit. He has to pick up on two different anagrams. Neither of the anagrams occur before halfway through the junk mail. Yeah. Which is fully three sentences past when any re- reasonable fucking person would just crumple it up and throw it in the fucking wastebasket. Right. So you're right. He would have to give a shit long enough to even get to the anagrams. So he would then have to read it and interpret that somebody killed his parents and did it purely because that because he was their son. And that does not happen in those anagrams. It's, it's not mentioned. The anagram yeah. if you haven't read the issue, one of the anagrams is the address where his parents live, which is Dennis O'Neill Boulevard, which is sort of a nice, yeah. you know, creator nod. I respect that. But the other one is just sort of a, you know, evil deeds persist. Why that would have something to do with the murder of his parents, why Zaz would, assuming he even picked up on this weird backwards fucking message and say, oh, this must mean the same thing. Who knows? But he would have to do it and say, oh, no, my parents are dead and it's because of me. 
to make him feel that I have to carve marks on me as they are my indirect victims, which is a big fucking leap in logic. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Not only would he have to do that, he would have to do it in a way where it could be captured on surveillance cameras so that Commissioner Gordon or myself the head to of feel. security. Huh? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so that somebody would have to say, oh, he must have additional victims. And people would have to say, oh, it's two cuts. It must be of all the people who are murdered on a daily basis in Gotham, not the safest city uh, <laughs> outside of Beirut or Detroit. But... <laughs> And say, oh, it must be these particular victims. And on top of all of this, Zaz would have to say, it is better for me in self-pity to say my parents were murdered because of me and they are my victims than to say, uh, hey, my parents were murdered and I got this letter from somebody who I think was the fucking murderer. Can somebody give this to Batman? Maybe I don't have to take the bite on these two. Or, or maybe-, maybe I'm breaking out because it's Arkham, which is about as secure as um, nothing. Yeah. Not secure. You can walk out. So- <laughs> And I'm going to go find whoever killed my fucking parents. Yeah, so all of these things have to happen for Matthew's master fucking plan of, oh, my parents were murdered by Mr. Zaz have to work. Yeah. And uh, on top of that, Mr. Zaz needs to have parents who aren't already fucking dead. They're dying in a boat accident. <laughs> God damn it. I feel strongly about this. Tom King, you done fucked up. Yeah. Okay. But all of that happens, and all of it happens perfectly. So Batman and Commissioner Gordon and everybody says, oh, okay, Uh, Mr. Zaz killed Matthew's parents. Except Batman realizes, like, wait, no, there's there's something wrong here. Yes. Um, I forget exactly what the problem was at this point. I've gotten so worked up. There's so many holes in it, it's hard to keep track of all of them. Well, it's... Pause for beer. He's having dinner with Selina... And it's it's set up to look very much like uh, the Batman 89 movie where Bruce is at one end of this giant fucking table and Selina in the Vicky Vale kind of role is at the other end of this fucking giant hit table. Speaking of that movie, I wish I had thought to get the sound clip of Jack Nicholson saying, there is a name for my pain, Bob, and it is Batman. <laughs> this week. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. But then, you know, it's, you know, Bruce is all like, oh, you know... What's going on with that kid's evil butler really makes me appreciate you, Alfred. Well, no, this is <laughs> this is later. We aren't even well, at this is that he, point This is where yet. he has the, the, the childish Well, no, this, this is when he realizes that Matthew did it, but we're not even there Oh, I'm yet. sorry. You were looking for a previous revelation. Yes. Wh- which one? Um, oh, no. It's, so Batman, he also figures out the note. He finds the note and figures out, oh, this is why Zaz is sort of taking the bite for the murder of Matthew's parents. And he goes to that address, and it's Zaz's parents who have been dead since 1994, but now they've been murdered again, also by Taylor the butler. So now he, now this butler has four fucking bodies on his sheet for no reason <laughs> that makes any goddamn sense at all. But fine, he's gone. Didn't just kill them. They're butchered. They're butchered in their bed. So Batman realizes, oh, okay, Zaz didn't do it. The same people who killed Matthew's parents killed these parents. <laughs> Maybe these. it's Two-Face. Yeah. So, so yeah, once Batman realizes that, another two bodies drop, and their hands are in a position on a clock, uh, and it's like, oh, 11-11. So Batman's like, oh, it's a bunch of uh, twos, so... Okay, so now there's six bodies, six fucking dead people <laughs> on this butler, <laughs> you know, who are well known for their murderous tendencies. Well, that's, that's why we have thing. no staff. Can I just say that's the other thing that's just sort of bizarre to me in in this particular Batman run by by Tom King. 
the unlikeliest of individuals suddenly become spree and or serial murderers. So this guy, Taylor, six bodies, at least. Maybe Tom Taylor tried to hit on his wife or something. <laughs> I don't know. But like Holly in the, in the Catwoman arc earlier in, in the run. Oh, yeah. Suddenly Holly Robinson is a murderous psychopath that's killed 200 the people. The fuck? Like she's like Patrick fucking Bateman. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> she goes home and says, Selena, have I talked to you about Huey Lewis in the news? Sports is a fantastic <laughs> album. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. It's It has just sort of popped up in between <laughs> some really good stories. You know, the I Am Suicide with Batman. All right, something <laughs> I liked a lot better than you did. But yeah, people would just become murderous. Which I get in this kind of weather. Taylor, <laughs> Taylor the... But yeah, maybe, Getting a little stir-crazy. Maybe Taylor killed those people and crawled inside them like tauntauns <laughs> to stay warm. Maybe Gotham is uh, right across the street from, uh, from Boston. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> All right, so, but uh, let's get back to the holes in the plot because it's yes. fun. And it's, well, it's fun in its own way, but all right, so we got six dead bodies. And then even then, Batman's like, oh, okay, Two Face is actually killing all these people. And then Batman realizes, oh, no, that, that clue's also bogus. Okay. And even that was kind of clever. He's like, no, because, you know, two hands at 11 and 11 and 11 and 11, it's. That equal everything winds up to be eight, and that's two to the third power. And Harvey would never allow a three in any of his formulas. Okay, fine, that's kind of clever. I like that, but he realizes his mistake, and he, Batman immediately says, "So what he's going to do now is whoever this person who's pretending to be Two Face, he will go out and kill somebody at an address with an obvious two in it." <laughs> Why? Why? Well, the, the address with the obvious two in it is Taylor's. Well, that's, <laughs> that's the problem. It's well, that's one of the problems. Number one, the only address that we've seen in here is in the weird note to kill Zaz's parents. But it, it, <laughs> that was a completely separate issue. That murder didn't have anything to do with the address. That was just sort of a hint that was supposed to stay hidden to Zaz that I killed your fucking parents or or i hired it out to the guy who knows how to uncork wine without dropping slivers of cork into it yeah he's now a master murderer so the address comes from nowhere but even with the address uh, yeah it points back to matthew's butler (laughs) why would matthew point batman at his fucking hired gun don't know (laughs) you know and Okay, so it points right to Taylor, and that's when Batman gets him, and Taylor says, oh, no, I did it for the money. It's a, why not just tell Batman, Matthew has hired me, intimidated me? Well, I, they're, I don't know. They're, are they trying to set up this sort of parallel that, that Taylor is as loyal as Alfred is and, and would... He absolutely is. I absolutely think that King is trying to map Matthew particularly to Bruce Wayne, and show with the parallels, yes, you've got somebody like, you know, Alfred. Yeah, Taylor is supposed to equal Alfred. But I don't think Alfred would go out and kill somebody for Bruce. No. I mean, and how good a boss is Matthew that Taylor would brutally murder six fucking people so his child, not even his employer, the child of his employer, could chase a weird paranoid fantasy. (laughs) I mean, Alfred, it doesn't make sense that Alfred supports Bruce working as Batman either. Right. That's also fucking crazy. But the main difference is Alfred had to deal with Bruce and his obsession 
after Bruce witnessed his own parents being murdered. Yes. Whereas Taylor witnessed Matthew having loving parents and a weird fucking obsession with Bruce Wayne. That's a small difference. I mean, I have people who work for me <laughs> in my day job. And if I asked them to wash my car, they'd report me to human fucking resources. Yeah. They certainly wouldn't kill someone so I could feel more like Batman. <laughs> and even if I could convince one of them to do it, they wouldn't take the fall for it. No. <laughs> It's, it doesn't make any, none of it hangs together. It requires all these leaps in logic and very particular things to happen. And for people to do things that don't make any goddamn sense, if you stop and think about them for a minute. And yeah, all those plot problems, they just undermine whatever King's point about, oh, Bruce Wayne could have gone in this other direction. It undermines it instead of making it. Yes. I mean, to make Matthew the source the, the mastermind behind his parents' murders, it completely separates Matthew from Bruce. Completely. Tragedy made Bruce Wayne Batman. Yeah. This kid has faulty wiring. Yes. He started <laughs> as the Joker. Yeah. He started as a monster. He was broken from the word go. So thematically mirroring this weird freakazoid who's... Superpower appears to be money and the ability to carve <laughs> shit in his face without a mirror. How the yeah, fuck that's, you, that's, that's, that's good work. How do you carve Martha and Thomas into your face without a mirror and even with a mirror without doing it backwards so that you well, can read it in the mirror? To, to be fair, when we see him, he's already carved it and he was carving on a, on a gravestone, so he might have done it before he went outside. Was that Taylor's last act as butler? Sure, I'll carve those names <laughs> in your face, and then when Batman picks me up, I'll finally say what's going on. Thomas and Martha. You know, you could just go with love and hate. It's, it's classic. <laughs> just put it on your knuckles. It's you know good enough for Night of the Hunter and uh, social good, distortion. Good for you know the Blues Brothers. <laughs> like, there you go. <laughs> no, they were Jake, Jake and Elwood. Elwood. <laughs> yeah, they, he doesn't have enough fingers. To, yeah. He'd have to pick Thomas or Martha, and he'd freak the fuck out. <laughs> Jesus. It's it, so yeah, the whole theme, the plot itself just makes it not make any sense. I don't have any doubt that this Matthew character is he's gonna show up and some other writer will pick up on it in like 15 years and give him some kind of Batman style costume to further drill the point home, even though we nah. already we already have Prometheus and the Wrath. No, nah, I want to see James Gordon Jr. show up and show him fear. Like, <laughs> like, like, like this is a perfect place. Really. No, kid, no. Yeah, no. Just just gimp him like in Pulp <laughs> yeah. Fiction. It's like, no, you're in over your head, kid. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, God, yeah, it's this. This is just, it's full of holes. It, it makes a point that's been already made in better stories and makes it badly with plot holes that make the whole thing not make sense. And it, yeah, it's in the middle of this Super Friends arc that has really been solid. I don't think you've read. Uh, have you read any of the the last I, couple I have. of Batman? I have. It's it's been pretty good. And yeah, to just sort of. <laughs> Just be like, wow, all right, yeah, this is a definitely solid arc. And Tom King says, you know, excuse me, and like just dukes on your coffee table. All right, I'm writing something that makes Amanda a little less stabby, a little less stabby. Nope, 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 not, can't maintain, can't maintain. <laughs> it was must, wrong and you knew it. Must write douchebag thing. <laughs> I don't want to go that far. It's, look, this guy has, you know, for 30-something issues every two weeks, I think more are good than not. I know you don't agree with me, but it's I think okay. more are 
at least above five on a scale of one to ten than aren't. Uh, you <laughs> you try to work that hard that fast. Eventually, the the odd stinker is going to go through. And this one, I think he had high hopes. I think he had a vision, and I think he just was not able to put it together. And I want to get back to Super Friends <laughs> very much. I don't think anybody in the history of man has ever said the sentence, I want to get back to Super Friends. Not a grown man in the 21st century, but there you go. Shall we move on to one? Yes, like let's. Like I said, we'll, we'll sandwich it. We actually did like a couple of books this week. Good, yeah. Uh, Spider-Man? Sure. All right. Uh, Spider-Man 236, written by Brian Michael Bendis, uh, art by Oscar Bazaldua. What kind of parents would name their kid that? Bazaldua, I think. Yes, Bazaldua. Uh, and, and now that Marvel's gone back to uh, not renumbering everything in a number one every six to eight months, uh, I don't know where the 236 come from, comes from. I don't know if they're taking back numbering from Ultimate Spider-Man or Web of Spider-Man or Spider-Man Tangled Web or Marvel Tale. I don't know where the 236 Spider is coming Pants. from. This is the Miles Morales Spider-Man book. Okay. Um, and it's not a great place to come into it because we're in the middle of a storyline, uh, right in the middle of an arc, uh, which is going to be Bendis's final arc uh, because he is now officially at DC Comics. He's finishing up one or two books for Marvel because yep. of his... Uh, his illness in December, but he is now officially on the DC payroll. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk about this one because for the first time in a while, this one felt like an old school, yes. mid early two thousands ultimate Spider-Man type book that was fun, had a ton of action, uh, had old school Spider-Man, ultimate Spider-Man, teenage soap opera shit going on, you know, from, you know, parents and uncles coming back and causing problems with people to Genki. And that's how you pronounce it, by the way. It's not Genki. It's Genki. Okay. I Googled it. <laughs> it's I, on Google? I finally Googled it. Bendis tweeted how to pronounce it five years ago. So that shows how on top of things I am. And it shows who I actually follow on Twitter. <laughs> and how active I am on Tumblr. But Genki, yes. It's from him uh, giving up Miles' secret identity to Danica, who has the... Spider-Man website, and I'm sure she'll use that she, information. Yeah, she's, she's gonna, you know, with great power comes great now. No. Yeah, no, it's not. Gonna, <laughs> nope, it's not gonna work out. <laughs> but um, so yeah, you've got the the teenage stuff going on, and to compare, just three or four months ago, as a contrast, Bendis had Miles going to Japan. Uh, <laughs> I remember that issue. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, flying sort of just stuck to the side of an aircraft at 35,000 feet. As one does. With no oxygen. Yeah. Um, and not even a coat. <laughs> <laughs> to be an undercover fucking secret agent. And that, that issue probably put me as close to dropping a Brian Michael Bendis Spider-Man book as I've been since they 2000, Didn't even have the decency to do any good Twilight Zone jokes. Like. <laughs> There's a spider on the wing. What? <laughs> oh, no. No, we, we, could, we can't have fun. I think he decided to have fun with Spider-Man again when he realized, oh, I'm going to have to give this up now that yeah. I'm going to DC, which I'm okay with because this was a fun issue. Spider-Man himself was fucking funny, and Miles is not always funny. This was Ultimate Spider-Man, mid-2000s, Peter Parker, written by Brian Michael Bendis level fucking funny. It's a trash-talking Spider-Man who always has a line, always has something to say, operating in New York City. And we haven't really had that a whole hell of a lot in the last two or three years since Secret Wars. Because this book was supposed to be, oh yeah, this is the spider. You want a 
you know, a wisecracking Spider-Man in an urban New York City setting, that's what this book is for. While in the meantime, <laughs> we had Peter Parker becoming a poor man, Tony Stark. Yeah. An amazing Spider-Man. And instead, in this one, he went to Japan to be a secret agent for a while. Cause but not in this issue. No, not in this issue, by God. In this issue, um, it, it's back to, yeah, if you enjoyed uh, peak Ultimate Spider-Man run, this is miles back to dealing with adults who are supervillains. Yep. And behaving as a teenager who likes to mouth off to supervillains would. Indeed. Demonstrating that he is, you know, very competent in his role, but still can be thrown because he is a teenager. Yep. It's everything that you would want in a ultimate Spider-Man book in this Spider-Man book. Yeah. And uh yeah, the the fighting between Spider-Man and Prowler slash Iron Spider was solid, well yep. choreographed, just good action. There's good. a great reveal at the end. Yep. Good to see Spider-Man dominating in a fight for a change. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't seem like that's <laughs> happened a lot. Um, with that said, one problem I had with it, and it's a problem I've kind of had with Miles Morales from the beginning. Miles Morales has been Spider-Man for at least seven years worth of comic books. Can we get past the, oh, I'm still learning my powers. Hey, I've got a new one just for this situation thing. <laughs> it's, you know. Puberty's it, a bitch. I, I know, but trust me. When he gets me, powers, like kids get zits. Yeah, I, I had puberty and I had zits and none of them <laughs> were the perfect zit for the perfect occasion. <laughs> Is there ever? <laughs> uh, apparently, if you're Miles Morales, whatever weird power you have, and it's okay to have a superhero suddenly have a brand new power that is perfect for whatever situation he's in, provided that comic book is Superman and it's being published in 1958 or 1959. It doesn't really <laughs> work in modern comics. And I've seen it far to, oh, I've got this sting. I can become invisible. You know, right from the beginning, it's, oh, I suddenly have these powers. Now he's got the weird electrified golden finger webbing. Yeah. Which, I don't know what spider has that shit. <laughs> It's one of those ones in Australia that we're never going to see because we're not going there because giant friggin' spiders. Yeah, that's horrifying, <laughs> and I want no part of that. All right, I'll take on faith. <laughs> the electric fucking Australian red death spider, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's it's good to see his uncle Aaron back. Um, yeah, because have we saw at the end of Spider Man Two. Uh, which Bendis just wrapped up, that there is, despite Secret Wars, some version of the Ultimate Universe still kicking around, where now Peter Parker's still alive, which is kind of cool. We just got a yeah. glimpse of it as the 616, or whatever we want to call the real Marvel Universe these days. That version of Miles Morales jumped over to the Ultimate Universe so he could be with his wife again, right. who is still alive in that universe. Um, so it's good to see, okay, that's still out there. So, yeah, it was good to see that character come back, and it feels like Bendis is kind of bringing things full circle for, for his last arc. He knows he's got to bring things in for whatever landing he can before he has to hand this character off or Marvel decides to, you know, make him like Miller's Electra. <laughs> oh, no, don't worry, Brian, we're never going to touch this. What what sales are down? Yeah, okay, give it to the new kid that we, <laughs> that we hired from the mailroom. Um, so, yeah, fighting the uncle that gave him his powers plus fighting some of Peter Parker's biggest villains, or at least versions of them, Hobgoblin and yep. Sandman. Um, and we've got this new version of Electro, who is uh, female, so they've... But, and she's trying desperately. There's uh, One of my favorite parts of this is this whole sort of just random kind of aside between Electro and Sandman. Yeah. 
where he's like, why do you want to be Electro? He was such a chump. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and that's the kind of stuff you would get back in Ultimate Spider-Man, where he would sort of half-reference how these characters were previously yeah. to say, oh no, it's not like that anymore, or it doesn't have to be like that anymore. Yeah, it felt like an old-school kind of move from how Bendis used to write those books. Yes. I love those fucking books. And then they get into a further aside now. If you really want to talk about somebody who's feeling inadequate, let's talk about Hobgoblin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, it's kind of, it feels like he's applying himself again. Bendis is. Yes. Because yeah, I had a lot of fun with this. And this is not a great place to jump in. If you've ever been a fan of Bendis' writing Spider-Man, you're only going to have one or two or three more issues to be able to do it. This is not a bad place to jump onto it. And we've not talked a lot about Bendis moving to DC and what's that's going to mean and part of that is because we don't know what he's doing right I mean we've had some some speculation among ourselves I don't think we've talked about it on the show in terms of like what he might be writing but yeah I mean uh, comicbookresources.com just posted something Uh, apparently Bendis since we've established I don't really follow him on Twitter or Tumblr (laughs) apparently he's been posting more Plastic Man art than uh, I could see that several others yeah, I could I could see him writing that. It's it's not an announcement or anything, uh, but yeah, it's a character with a lot of humor who you can do some stuff with as a place to plant the flag at DC. Wouldn't be terrible. My my hope would have been around. Um, this is where we bring back Blue Beetle and Booster Gold. Yeah, <laughs> I, I still want Justice League International. Yeah, period. Now that being said, um, this is tangential. Kevin McGuire has been posting a lot of commissions lately. I did see one he posted on Twitter with a uh, he with Blue Boost- Beetle and Booster on the couch playing video games with Batman standing yeah. <laughs> behind the couch. But he's he's put up a a couple lately, and he put up another one that was um as, as you like to to term it the DCW characters. Yeah, he he did them in a similar configuration to what he did for Justice League International that particular cover. I'm going to have to look for that one. I haven't seen that one yeah, yet. Yeah, so he's he's been taking some interesting commissions. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, somebody needs to get Maguire and Bendis together. <laughs> well, Maguire was supposed to do Justice League 3000 with uh, Demetrius and Giffen. Yeah. And I, I don't know what happened with that, because I know it was something on Twitter where he's like, uh, apparently I don't have it anymore or something like that. Yeah. And they gave it to Howard Porter. And that was still a great book. But yeah, I really wanted to see the band get back together. But Yeah, it was an odd happening. <laughs> Well, you know, <laughs> during the new 52, a lot of the choices made by DC editorial, uh, questionable. Yes. <laughs> like, literally, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you doing that? Stop doing that. Uh, yeah, it's uh, as, as we start to get details about what Bendis is going to do, we'll probably bring it up. Because, uh, yeah, it's, it's very weird to be in this situation where, oh, yeah, Bendis is almost done with Spider-Man. Mm. Oh, yeah, he's he's leaving the Defenders. Somebody's going to be writing Jessica Jones. Yeah. Uh, and Slot's leaving Spider his Spider-Man. So it's it's like like everybody's just getting off. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, and five years ago, if you told me I would say this, I wouldn't have believed it. But at the very least, Chip Zdarsky <laughs> has Spider-Man. So Spider-Man's in good hands. Yes, actually. That, that, that is a very fun book. But, yeah, if you're a fan of old school Bendis, uh this is not a bad place to say, all right, I'll check out the last, you know, one, two, three. Because it, it really felt like he was applying himself to Spider-Man in a way I've not felt in, yes. in a while. I agree. All right. Another book that suddenly got good. 
(laughs) (laughs) Justice League, number 36, written by Priest, Christopher Priest, uh, art by Pete Woods. Yeah, it's weird. Justice League's been good again for like the last two or three months. (laughs) Have you been reading it? Um, Off and on. Off and on. It's it's not been really good for a while, and this this is another one. It's not a great place to jump on because it's in the middle of of an arc, but this is kind of the beginning of a new chapter in that arc. So it's not a terrible place to get into it. But well, it, it covers some. T- even if you haven't been reading it, it covers some territory you may may have already been familiar with from some other storylines. You know what happens when you have a organization like the Justice League? Who are they accountable to? <laughs> What yeah. oversight does anyone have over them? How how are we to know that they aren't just going to try to police the world? So basically the plot of uh, Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice only executed yeah. a lot better or in certain ways. Authority or <laughs> Yeah, I mean look, the first page of this issue in one page Priest gets he basically takes that scene with Holly Hunter yes. in Congress uh, with Superman and executes it in a way that is vastly better than actually happened in that movie. And he even gets a dig in at that jar of piss scene by having uh, Senator Hasgrove in this say peachy, yes. like at the very end of it. So it's, yeah, he's taken some themes that are, are pretty common in certain media, particularly even with these characters, and just executing pretty well on it. Yeah. And giving some reason behind it beyond, you know, uh, oh, reasons. Superman uh, fought Zod and stuff blew up. No, the reasoning is the last couple of issues, Batman is leading the Justice League. Batman has no powers. Batman needs to sleep. Batman sometimes gets tired and makes the bad calls. Yeah. And if that happens and things go wrong and people get hurt, yeah, these questions of, okay, who's really doing this and their methodology, does that make any sense? And right. those questions would come up. No, and, and those are those are excellent questions to explore. Um, in fact, I would say, Tom King, start looking at what priest is doing <laughs> again I, I look generally more fondly at what tom king is doing on batman than you do this week was uh an anomaly uh, it, uh, <laughs> anyway anyway i they also get into the whole point of you've got people running around wearing masks capes cowls who the hell is under them and how do you know that the person that's under it today is the person that's going to be under it tomorrow and that's an interesting thing you don't see brought up a whole hell of a lot in... Especially given that there are superhero names for whom there is a rotating cast of characters that go through there. You have your ba- Barry Allen Flash, you have your Wally West Flash, you have your... Like, oh, yeah. You have the, a whole... There, there's um, a core of Green Lanterns. Like, <laughs> yeah, there, there have been three people who say have said they're Batman yeah. in the past. right. Uh, there's a Chinese Superman, there's Superman, there's Connor Kent Superman, which we see over in, uh, oh, I forget which title this week he shows up in, Action. Superman, oh, in Superman, Superman? Okay. yeah, the uh, the old uh, Teen Titans of the future yep. from pre-Flashpoint uh, has been showing up in various books, so he's back in it, so yeah, it's it's a legitimate question, but it's one you don't see a whole lot, you certainly see the obvious, you know, it's... <laughs> The chain of evidence question here is probably the most succinctly, here's why it's a problem. Batman might be the world's greatest detective, but who do you write on who collected the evidence? The the man dressed as Dracula? It doesn't really hold up very well in court, I would imagine. Yeah. And all it kept reminding me of is people would 
in various places in this use in this issue would say, well, the chain of evidence when you collect evidence was the uh, Wonder Mark, which is a web comic <laughs> uh, by David Malky. And uh, one of the great ones, which I have pinned to my uh, my wall at my day job, is this guy saying, you know, Yo, you're my lawyer. You have to get me out of this. I was mugged and beaten unconscious and tied up. Well, note from Batman says you're the perp. You're the perp. How is that even legal? <laughs> That's a great web series. Google it if you haven't read it. Yeah. Yeah, Wondermark, all one word. Yes, I think it's Wondermark. With an, exclam- with an exclamation mark. Yes, although that's not in the URL because that blows up computers. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> so because of all that, Batman having made bad calls in the last couple issues and this weird attention that uh, the Justice League is now getting because of it, the interesting choice that Priest is making is people are beginning to question Batman's leadership and Batman is very much playing defense we have a sequence in this issue when, where an American sub uh, becomes disabled in Chinese waters, and Batman is like, everybody back off. Uh, we are in international waters. We don't want to create an international incident. Meanwhile, Aquaman... You damn fool! You're more useless than Aquaman! Rightly... Yes. <laughs> ...says, I'm a sovereign head of state with jurisdiction over the sea. I want this sub out of my turf. So he ignores Batman... We've got Simon uh, Boz. Simon Boz, Green Lantern, saying, "Yeah, I'm just going to go on the sub anyway," and yeah, it's it, it sort of brings up the point of Batman is going to work in these situations. There are corners he has to cut that nobody else does, and right. those will include illegal surveillance and chain of evidence, <laughs> and so it's a, a really interesting way to sort of make the team dynamic. Yeah, it's all uh, well and good to be Batman in Gotham when you have the commissioner in your pocket. It's another thing entirely when you're working on a global scale. Yeah, and by having the, the team members sort of be at cross-purposes, it, it makes for an interesting character-based story as opposed to just action. And for a while, for a long while, Justice League has just been action stories. Part of the problem is they let Brian Hitch write it. Yeah. And as a writer, he is an excellent artist. <laughs> um, I mean, he did fine adventure stories, you know, there, although I can't remember almost any of them. I think there was one that was an alien invasion story, but it reminded me of the the time when God came back to attack Earth in the Authority. Yeah. And I may just be thinking of the Authority since Brian Hitch drew that well, stuff. He, he had that whole storyline way, way back where it was just like, um, what if Rao was a thing? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I God, I forgot it. Yeah, see, none of those stories stuck to my head. They were perfectly serviceable adventure stories, but yeah. nothing. And Superman and Lex Luthor have to team up to take out Rao. Uh, yeah, and everybody starts worshiping. Yeah, okay, I remember that now. But it, it was okay. He's a great artist. He's a great artist. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Priest has been doing great work on Deathstroke since the beginning of yes. Rebirth. And yeah, the stuff in the last two or three issues of Justice League, I think, have been just as solid. But here's all right, and I and I know I, you feel I'm I'm beating this to death. I feel like Priest does an excellent job writing characters where you do a pretty thorough examination of what's driving them and what's problematic without getting heavy-handed about, you know. Oh, poor baby you and I'm, you know, whining about this. It like his his work on on Constantine, his work on Deathstroke, all very driven by what the characters are doing, the whole like, you know, show don't tell. 
And I feel yeah. like a lot of King's books, I'm being told how the character feels as opposed to the action playing out so that I, I believe. Which is, which is potentially a valid criticism that I think Priest does very well with. I will put these characters in these situations and show you how they react, and based on that, you will know the characters. Yes. Whereas I think King, not even arguably, I think he is more likely to you know, cross the T in front of your face and go, huh, see what I'm doing? And I think that works in certain stories. I'll stand by, I think uh, Vision was my favorite uh, in last year's Crises, uh, my favorite miniseries of last year. And it, and it worked with Vision because it was the first time really any reader was seeing it. And it's also like, wow, what an interesting thing to think about because he's an android. But then you see the same style play out in the Batman book and in the Mr. Miracle book. <laughs> I, I can kind of see that. Uh, I will say in my defense, there is exactly one time where I'll absolutely stand by. I want a character to tell me exactly what their motivation is, and it is this. I burn my family alive, and I like to light things on fire. <laughs> we'll stick with that. <laughs> see, I knew that was coming that time. I knew it. <laughs> that one I wasn't trying to trick you. I just found an appropriate place for it, and I'll try to trick you with it again. Just not this But episode. even that character, they have gone out of their way, again, putting a character into a situation to see how they would react. In, in this past season, we've seen McRory meet his father. <laughs> and see, I would argue that's exactly the opposite. That is the kind of artificial situation that we saw in this week's Batman. Which, okay, we'll create this character who just wants to be you and see the parallels, see where all this could come from, see what Batman could be. I think there was a lot of, oh, now that I've met my father face-to-face having traveled through time, I understand why I am this way. And I, I think there are more parallels there than, than you think. Doesn't mean I'm right. I just, I, I see it a little differently than you. I, maybe because I enjoyed that episode more than I enjoyed this issue. Very, <laughs> very possible. <laughs> and also, I'm, I'm trying to do some mental gymnastics around, well, I can see where you think it's contrived, but I, th- I have a theory about why they're being like put in various situations based on how the algorithm of the ship is dealing with their personal histories, but I have nowhere to go with that right now, and I have not prepared that argument, so... <laughs> I just want to suck the joy out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to, to get back to this issue, I think I think you're dead right. Priest is better at... at I think he's also more willing to say, I don't need to show you why. It doesn't matter why so a character is the way they, they are. It's not necessarily important why a character is the way they are. What is important is that you know who they are. And yes. I will show you who they are based on how they react to certain situations. Which then, as the reader, if you want to get into the why, there's enough stuff there where you can make some arguments and have you know some rich discussion about choices that they're making. Yeah. As opposed to the other book where it's like, here's what's happening. Here's how he feels. Look, look at him talk to Selena again. <laughs> yeah, and it's... Making these characters, putting them in situations and showing how they react and how they react to each other, that makes good storytelling. That makes things interesting. It is certainly fun to watch Superman punch Rao. Those are are fun. I read them on the toilet, and clearly that's where they left them because I forgot about them 25 minutes later. But 
having these characters really react to each other and not just a threat. I mean, and, and some of it is, I don't want to say derivative, but sort of classic storytelling, you know, Simon saying, Jesus, did Superman just say that he and I should grab lunch? I mean, that kind of beat is straight from Grant Morrison's classic JLA run with Kyle Rayner saying, I can't handle this. It's it's like playing with the Beatles. Yeah. But it, it makes those characters human. Yeah, if if Superman did anything but punch me in the face and drop me off the local constabular, I'd be like Superman. Superman, talk to me. Isn't that awesome. <laughs> Simon has that moment in this book. Yeah, where where, where Superman's like, you want to go get lunch? He's like, yeah. Superman just asked me to lunch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. It's like not everything here is like wildly original, but it's you know when you think of classic runs on JLA, you think Grant Morrison. Yeah, and. Okay, he's doing certain things in a similar way, but that's okay. There are worse things you can do than try and, you know, than be on the same page as a classic run. Yes. So, you know, and yeah, Brian Hitch wrote pretty decent half adventure stories. Priest is writing good characters, and that makes a big difference. Yeah, to he's building the relationships. He's sh- he's showing how how there are difficulties in terms of negotiating what you want to do versus what you can actually do. I mean, the number of characters who are like, you know, I, I get what you're laying down. The charter says this, but my actual mission is this. <laughs> yeah. And, I have questions about whether or not I can continue in this organization. Yeah. And, and little smart choices, a uh, combination between, uh, I would imagine priest direction in the script and Pete Woods for most of this issue, Batman is, he's just dressed as Bruce Wayne. Yes. He is giving instructions to the Justice League just in a suit to visually show this is just a man. Right. Surrounded by all this power, which I thought was kind of a neat choice. So he's really bringing a lot to it. And I've really been enjoying Justice League for the last two or three issues for the first time probably since Jeff Johns wrote it. Although the last thing Jeff Johns wrote was Dark Side War, and I can barely fucking remember that except as here's the last fucking thing we have to get through before we get to DC Rebirth. Right. And then we've got this odd thing at the end where cause now they're looking for this this uh, Batman doppelganger who's actually been committing murder, which is not helping things. Right. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't help. So there's somebody running around dressed up as Batman. <laughs> but like Batman from 1984. Yeah. With the big yellow oval and the utility belt that's a bunch of capsules. Right. That, like... Like, like he he's dumped, cosplaying. Like he dumpster dived. Yeah. <laughs> and it looks like, uh, what is the next issue going to be called? The Justice League Groupies or something? Uh, fan mail. Yeah. League of Groupies, yeah. Yeah, League, League of Groupies. Which would make sense. Jesus, in this world, we've got like Phoenix Jones out in San Diego, people dressing up like superheroes. Now I want to watch uh, James Gunn's Super. Maybe we can do that after the show. Maybe. Uh, so for some reason. let me watch it. Simon Boz is <laughs> dressed up like matches Malone. Yes. <laughs> well, so Batman was trying to use Simon to trick wannabe Batman. Right. Who clearly has uh, has his information tight, yo. And there's now a Trojan green Trojan horse Green Lantern out there floating around. So there's yeah, they're leading up to this league of groupies. Yeah. Um, but I'm I just I'm far more interested in what's going to happen next in this book than in a lot of other books I've read this week. Uh, yeah, Justice League has gotten good. Yeah. Justice League is worth worth putting back on your pull list if you'd sort of fallen off of it. Yes. And uh, uh, yeah, God, I hope DC continues to do more with Priest. Because yeah, you've always been a bigger Deathstroke fan than me. 
and Deathstroke has kept me going all the way through Rebirth. I'm beginning to find, though, and we've sort of talked about this, you know, we say, I'm a f- I am consider myself a fan of, insert title here, but only during this particular arc as written by so-and-so <laughs> under these circumstances. Yeah, well, unfortunately- And I'm beginning to feel that, well, I'm just saying, I'm beginning to feel like I'm a really huge fan of Priest. I don't care what he's writing. I'll read it. <laughs> it, it makes me want to go back, and there have been a couple of collections of his work on uh, Black Panther. Yeah, yeah, and even with Black Panther, you know, I stand by the 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 arc that first got me into Black Panther was when Casper Cole, who was just a, a New York cop, found the suit and said, "Okay, I'm Black Panther now." <laughs> yeah, and he was on the crew, and yeah, I, I kind of want to go back because I I know that when Priest was before he got to that point. When he was writing Black Panther, it was this big political story with Wakanda, and I got to imagine that's going to get reproduced because the uh, David Liss, Francesco Francavilla, and unfortunately our local store was out of it. Uh, mm. But uh, Black Panther: Man Without Fear uh, just came out, and I'm going to have to get my hands on that. The Reginald Hudlin uh, collection of everything he did just came out. So yeah, I'd like to believe that the. Christopher Priest stuff is going to come back on. I might have and, to pick and, that up. And that's how good a writer Priest is. You're liking Deathstroke right now, despite the fact that Jericho's in it. Fucking Jericho's in every <laughs> issue. And I don't hate it. I, <laughs> I just had to get that in there. Oh, God damn it. You ruined everything. <laughs> don't make me go nuclear. I've got the nuclear oh, button. Oh, don't. I won't do it. I won't do it. <laughs> anyway, Justice League. Was it 36? 36. I've already forgot. I put my note away. <laughs> it's, a, it's not a terrible place to jump on, even though it's in the middle of an arc. Yes. Because it's sort of, yeah, number one, you'll be immediately reminded of Batman versus Superman with a much better Congress scene with no goat piss or whatever. And, and no Jesse Eisenberger dude. <laughs> yes. <laughs> By God, Yes. Ah, all right. So you were talking about, oh, I'm a fan of a particular character, but only under particular creators. Yeah, gee, I wonder what we could be talking about next. Oh, I wish I was dead. Doomsday clock number two. (laughs) Uh, Again, we recognize this is two or three weeks uh, old, but uh, I... uh, He's got to get it out of his system, people. We are going to talk about every Doomsday clock issue. Buckle Um, up. Yes, Doomsday Clock 2, written by Jeff Johns, art by Gary Frank. I keep telling myself this is just Watchmen fanfic. Uh, Part of me is beginning to think this is also DC Universe fanfic, which gives me some (laughs) hope, because if it's just some story that's taking place in a weird, like the bleed or something, some weird thing in the multiverse that is just going to affect everything, but is not, Mm. okay, it's a thing that happened nowhere, but affected everything and will deal with the effects without the actual story. I will kind of be happier because I'm not sure this is taking place in a recognizable version of the DC universe. Oh, see, you know, I am taking this as since Jeff Johns is involved with DC um, Cinematic Universe, this is how they're going to tie the Watchmen movie into the DC Universe and the movies, and that's how they're going to reboot that franchise. And we talked about this when we (laughs) talked about Doomsday Clock 1. Please extrapolate. 
while I sit over here going, <laughs> son of a bitch. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they could go all Flashpoint. That is still probably Vegas odds, the most likely way to go to try to save their failed movie properties, except for Wonder Woman, which was awesome. Yes. Oh, they're not going <laughs> to. However, they already have Zack Snyder, for better or for worse. He did the Watchmen movie. They could decide that they're going to reboot this franchise by giving people more Watchmen. I stand by the original Watchmen movie. I do. I still like it. It's one of the few things that Snyder has done that hasn't been actual shit. Uh, Yeah, but it only made like $40 million. (laughs) Nobody, nobody, nobody (laughs) is screaming, give me another Zack Snyder Watchmen movie. And I like it. And I'm not saying it. I'm just saying they could go in that direction. Otherwise, why? Why? Other, I mean, they could just keep republishing the same graphic novel of Watchmen every X number of months to keep the thing current so that it doesn't revert back to Alan Moore. I'll tell you why. I'm a bunch of a-holes. <laughs> I'm just saying. Otherwise, this is like, ooh, how can we freshen up the place? Let's bring in some characters. and just like. Look, I agree with you. I don't think this should be happening. And I don't think there's a great... Look, DC... <laughs> Or DC Films clearly needs to do something with the DC Cinematic Universe. I can't imagine with three DC films, or at least two and a half, oh no, three and a half, under Zack Snyder's belt between Watchmen, Man of Steel, uh, Batman vs. Superman, and uh, some percent, some ephemeral percentage of Justice League. Justice League, that they're saying, oh yeah, you know what the problem is? We don't have a way to tie these fuckers together. I, I can't imagine... <laughs> It's like, how can we just wad up more of this together? Nobody's saying that. Nobody. Uh, Jeff Johns likes sugary cereal. There's not a he'd have to freebase Captain Crunch for that to be a good fucking idea. I'm, Nobody's saying that. All right, have you have you you've read this? Are you not entirely convinced that he's not freebasing Captain Crunch? Uh, he might be freebasing something. <laughs> I don't know. Because God knows we see the dead walk. That's generally a PCP kind of thing, isn't it? We yes, yes we do. We'll get to that. Oh. And somebody eats somebody's pancakes. <laughs> breakfast food. Again, breakfast food. Yep. God damn it. Spoilers. It's my, the thing I'm trying to hang on to, which will go away, but the thing I'm trying to hang on to with, oh, maybe this just isn't even in the regular DC universe, is this whole Superman theory thing, which has never been mentioned anywhere in any of the DC Rebirth stories that I have read in the last year. You know, this concept that there's some worldwide theory that the reason the United States has all the superheroes is because the government is creating them, mm-hmm. supposedly based on admissions by Metamorpho and Man Bat, who, granted, we have not seen anywhere that I can remember uh, in any of the DC Rebirth books so far. Nope, although not so far. Metamorpho is going to be a part of, what is it, the Terrifics, I think? Yes. With uh, Mr. Terrific and Plastic Man. Yes. So he's coming back. But supposedly... This whole theory is making the general public in this universe, assuming it's the DC universe, mistrust superheroes. Yeah, there's a whole thing they set up where, um, I don't want to say that they bandy around terms like fake news, but Batman is being undermined by the Russians. (laughs) Uh, Look, current politics are definitely somewhere in this book, in the front of Jeff John's mind as he writes this. Yes. Even though it takes place supposedly in 1992. But even that, there's problems. Mm -hmm. But, okay, so let's assume 
No, let's not assume this is the DC universe. Okay, where whether this is the regular DC universe or some weird pocket dimension or whatever. All right, all right let's let's get into your beautiful fantasy. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm saying and and I'm I'm attacking this the same way I sort of attacked uh, the latest Batman. Does it make any sense or not? And a lot of it doesn't. Okay, get so, to it. <laughs> so there's this theory that oh, uh, America is manufacturing superheroes as part of an arms race and putting them out in public to fight crime as sort of a cover. Um, so oh, I don't trust superheroes. Okay, why? Why would you mistrust superheroes? The the one thing we see here is crowds protesting Batman. Yes, Batman is not a superhero. Also, if the concern is, oh, superheroes are just an arm of the U.S. government, Batman, of anybody, is operating as a barely sanctioned vigilante operating yeah. outside of the scope of the justice system, which, if this is the DC universe, we see that that's the general perception of Batman. We saw it in Justice League this week. Right. Why would anybody give a shit if suddenly it's like, oh, no, you know what? It turns out Batman's operating with a full force of law and order. Yeah, we're not worried about the chain of evidence because Batman is, is an agent of the American government. Why would that suddenly, oh, okay, now I mistrust him. That doesn't really, it doesn't track, at least not to me. Yeah, it, it's, I don't know if they're planning on explaining it in some other book, but the way that it's set up in here right now, it, it does beg the question, like, why? <laughs> yeah, <it laughs> You just, can't just throw Russians out there like shorthand and assume that takes care of all of it. Well, I mean, but clearly he does, and he used a lot of similar shorthand in the first issue. It's right. He's clearly trying to stamp the current presidential administration on top of this, and that's a legitimate artistic choice. Yeah, even though it's sort of out of time, because yeah, you can use that as a shorthand to get certain points across, but you've got to kind of think them through. I mean, I don't mind the idea. Okay, fine, uh, Russian and Markovian information warfare to make the public mistrust superheroes. Yeah, that does feel current, but I don't think John sticks the landing in any way to make it be like, okay, yep, uh, that totally makes sense and I'm on board with it. Right. I mean, it's not the end of the world that it's just sort of, oh, this concept that's out there and then there's riots in the streets. To be honest, the Keen Act that Alan Moore used in the original Watchmen, that doesn't really hold up if you really stop and think about it for any length of time. Yeah. I mean, because in 1977, in Moore's America, there's, what, six, maybe seven masked adventurers? Yeah, about that, yeah. Plus one actual, honest-to-God, superhero. Yes. And yet, police departments, at least in Washington and New York, and it's kind of implied all over the place because it required a federal law to deal with it, but at least in these two major cities, the cops are going on strike because of six or seven fucking people, and... The government relied on those six or seven people to enforce order in the absence of the police. It, it, that doesn't hold up. You know, the, the difference is Alan Moore was really kind of breaking new ground yeah. and doing something very different than had ever been done before. And because of that, particularly when I read it at 15, 16 years old, fine, I gave him the benefit of the doubt because I'd never seen anything like it before. Jeff Johns is... He's treading on beloved ground here. His shit has to be tight, and I'm not convinced that it is. No, and and he's feeling um, his oats because he's got, spoilers, um, Adrian Vecht um, meeting Lex Luthor. Adrian. I always thought it was Veach. What kind of parents would name their kid that? Yeah. Either way. Either way. Um, and Veach, Vecht, Ozymandias, whatever. <laughs> Ozzy. 
We'll go with says, Ozzy. <laughs> you know, lays out the whole, like, and, and then here's why I had to create a giant squid monster to bring the world together plan to Luther, who then says, that's stupid. You're supposed to be the smartest person on your earth. I'd hate to meet the dumbest. That's not like, a bad line. I'll give it that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, 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 that feels like John saying, I need to take a pot shot at this <laughs> story. Uh, yeah. Kind of. I, I tried not to take it in that way. I, I tried it to felt take, like it. I, I tried to take it as, you know, okay, if you take the rules of the Watchmen universe and try to make them work in the DC universe, they don't. Yeah. They just don't. And that's going to be a problem here. And trust me, I'll get to it. I got notes. I see that I got you lots do. I of notes. But let, me, let me get to that. <laughs> so to go further back to, again, why my theory is maybe this is not the real DC universe since we've had no prior reference to any of this Superman theory or any of this stuff before Doomsday Clock, <laughs> there's there's problems. And this is probably just a dumb thing in order to support, you know, you know oh, we not only have marketing and comics, but we also have it uh, online. Promote Synergy! <laughs> I pointed at the screen to show you I was going to press a button. It's still very loud in my ears. Okay, I'm sorry, but... <laughs> The in the back matter, everything's yes. on a website. Um, now remember, this is taking place in 1992. Um, there wasn't a hell of a lot in the way of World Wide Web. I believe the World Wide Web was invented in 1993. Yes, and as a technology person, I should know that for sure. But all right, so that all the all the dates in the URLs are 2017, and those yes. are real URLs, by the way. You there's nothing new there that that you don't get in the back matter. Right. But you can go to dailyplanet.com or the bulletin.press and those articles are there online. So like I said, in order to, I'm not going to, all right, actually, no, I'm going to press the button. That's <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just distracted by the big belly burger ad because that also shows up on the CW. <laughs> <laughs> that also shows up in the original Watchmen. Yeah. I believe that's uh, what Seymour was eating uh, when he, the, I think it's the burger place that they keep going to in Arrow <laughs> and Flash. It's possible. Uh, look, with TC McJitters or whatever the fuck it is, I stopped paying any <laughs> goddamn attention to what they named their restaurants in that show. But uh, all right. So yeah, all the URLs say 2017, even though this is supposedly taking place in 1992. Um, we get references in this to Nathaniel Dark movies. Now, Nathaniel Dark is an actual DC character mm. uh, from the mid 80s. It was written by Don McGregor with art by Gene Colan. So to say this is a fictional character in the DC universe, again, it's a reboot. They could easily do it. And by making a big point of it, I'm sure Johns is going to come back to it. But it it shows, okay, we're either dealing with retcons or maybe this is not really the DC universe. Okay, but if it's not the DC universe, why do we have an initial run that gets everybody all like worried about the Watchmen coming into the DC universe with things like Batman finding the comedian's pen in his cave? And that's the problem. I'm probably fucking wrong. I'm just... I'm, <laughs> I don't want to say I'm, I'm just hanging on to maybe it's not the DC universe. I'm just saying, all right. With all this stuff here that we've never seen in Rebirth, maybe that could be the direction he's going in. Do I want that to be the direction he's going in? I'm your goddamn partner! I pressed the wrong button. Yes, I do. <laughs> you just want to hear Marion Ravens when just screaming, and that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, too, just want to scream sometimes. There we go. Here's more. Bestari! <laughs> do I want that to be the case? I, I kind of do. Because again, then it's all fanfic, and I can just take it as fine. You're just fucking around. 
in an imaginary story like in the old days of DC where I did, okay, what if Superman fucked a unicorn? <laughs> we will talk about this again, but let's pretend, all right, fine, I'll read it and I'll, I'll enjoy it. I kind of want it to not be part of the DC universe. And I'm maybe I'm latching on to whatever is there to try to be with it. I'm probably wrong, but uh, let's face it, some of the shit maps up uh, in the back matter, they indicate the idea the metagene came up in the Dominator invasion, which would have been 1988, so that yep. time frame fits. Uh, in the first Doomsday Clock, uh, Lois and Superman are together. Uh, she knows he's Superman. Uh, that was, I think, 1991 in action comics, so that maps to the time frame. I mean, the the one downside is... If we want to talk about people are protesting Batman and Batman's never been less popular. In 1992, Batman Returns came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Batman the Animated Series was that year or the next year. It was the year before Nightfall. Uh, the idea of Batman being unpopular in 1992 doesn't hold a lot of water for me, but okay. So, I Look, I hope for your sake and your sanity that your, your fan fiction theory turns out to be correct. I would I would say that they would not have gone out of their way to put stuff in the first initial issues of Rebirth, even just to leave alone and then come back to later, if this wasn't going to be something that they were going to try to work into general continuity as a thing. You just want to suck the joy out of everything. You're, you're probably <laughs> right. You're probably right. I, I recognize that. I'm just trying to hang my hat on anything because... <laughs> If this is part of continuity of both Watchmen and the DC universe, we we have to take a step back and recognize that in this issue, Jeff Johns, Aquaman fan. You mm. damn fool! You're more useless than Aquaman! The man who gave Vibe his own comic after 1985, that Jeff Johns, yes. nuked Alan Moore's Watchmen universe on page 12 of his second issue. There is nothing ambiguous. The nukes fell on New York and people were skeletonized. Yes. Jeff Johns felt he could nuke Alan Moore's universe figuratively and literally in a story sense. Mm -hmm. That's fucking infuriating to me. Which is why I tend to take that line about the giant squid at face value. That's not a this doesn't work because it's in another universe. This is his commentary on on how he feels about that plot point. And you can make that point without saying that universe, I'm going to wipe it out. <laughs> this is You're right. You could, you can also have written all of Tom King's book without saying that Bruce Wayne is a sad fucked up little boy. And none of these creators, as much as I like some of them, and I like Jeff John's writing, none of them are Alan Moore. None of them should be playing in this fucking universe. Don't play with dynamite, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Leave it to the professionals. Maybe Priest. <laughs> Even he's not that Well, good. no, he has the common sense to not fucking do that. Well, yeah, I can't imagine Priest saying, you know what, give me Dr. Manhattan. I'll write him for a while. That doesn't seem... <laughs> Like his thing. I could be wrong. I've never met the man, but I don't see that kind of hubris in anything I've I've read by him. He seems like the kind of guy, all right, uh, yeah, give me this weird thing and I'll write that for a while. Yeah. But uh, look, on one hand, I get it. The stakes need to be huge for Adrian to try to get Dr. Manhattan back to fix things. But on the other hand, of all people, 
Ozymandias should know, Dr. Manhattan, he, he perceives everything happening at once. Right. He cannot arbitrarily move through time and change anything. And I've talked about this over and over again. The conceit of, I'll get Dr. Manhattan to fix this, is flawed on its fucking face. The whole point of his character was, the whole tragedy of the character was, he saw everything happen at once, yeah. and he was doomed to just move through it and have the corresponding events happen anyway. Dr. Manhattan has no fucking free will. Right. He cannot decide to change anything. Sorry, it's a, this is fanfic. It's fanfic the same way J. Michael Straczynski's fucking horrible Dr. Manhattan before Watchmen miniseries. Again, another writer I like who should fucking know better and not fuck around <laughs> with this shit. The same way that's fanfic. I don't have to care about it. I need this to be fanfic. I can deal with it. I can point out holes in the plot because if it's not fanfic, they're fucking with things that are beloved. I mean, I've... Yeah, they... they... I just bought my fourth copy of Watchmen. I've got the original one I bought when I was 15 or 16, the first print uh, mm -hmm. trade paperback. I've got the absolute edition uh, and I just bought the annotated Watchmen. <laughs> so that's three. Plus I've got Dave Gibbons uh, watching the Watchmen. Mm. I've got uh, a textbook that uh, Trebuchet, friend of the show, <laughs> got me. Watchmen and philosophy about serious philosophical issues in Watchmen. Stop fucking with this. I care about it. God damn it. Ugh. And uh, so the comedian's back. <laughs> oh, I wish I was dead. Ugh. I don't think it's a comedian. Okay. Okay. You sure? Because he seems to be pretty clear on the fact that he is the comedian. I think it's Saturn Girl. Saturn Girl, actually. You think so? Uh, I think Saturn, because we saw Saturn Girl. Uh, She's filled out. <laughs> Saturn Girl has mental powers and the power of telepathy. I think that Saturn Girl uh, may have read uh, Ozymandias' mind to show him something that would shake him or scare him. Because uh, otherwise, Jeff Johns has decided, you know what, we'll just do standard superhero resurrections. Uh, granted, this is not the Watchmen universe. They have been, at this point, moved to the DC universe, but... I got I think it's Saturn Girl. I think because we saw Saturn Girl in DC Universe Rebirth, and she was unmanned and taken out of the 30th century and considered a mental patient. And I we have not really seen a lot from her, so I think that is a Saturn Girl projection. Okay, with a 45 automatic for some reason, but that's again I. The comedian is dead. Watchman opens with the comedian is fucking dead. I love the comedian. If I look over my left shoulder, I've got the comedian's pistols from the Watchman movie. Yeah, you know who uh, else was supposed to be dead? Zaz's parents. <laughs> That's it. I'm going nuclear. No. <laughs> he was wrong and you knew it. <sighs> but yes, I don't think that's really the comedian. Okay. I choose to believe that's not the comedian. I think there are enough other... I feel pretty comfortable in saying the Saturn girl fake, that's more likely than the comedian is just alive and walked into Lex Luthor's office. Okay. Uh, but I'm, the other problem with the comedian coming back is the whole conceit of the, seeing the comedian in this issue is the comedian saying, oh, the last time you... Uh, I wasn't... Last time I saw you, I wasn't ready. I was drunk. This time I'm ready. Well, that was... 
that was the comedian being murdered before the first issue of Watchmen, and the comedian was kind of unmanned at that point. The reason he was home and drunk was he knew Adrian's plan. He knew he was conflicted. It's like that this may actually work. And what is the nature of what I should do here? And part of me does believe half of why he lost is because it's like, I can't face it. So do what you have to do to me. I could see if the comedian actually came, came back him being pissed that I sacrificed myself for you and you couldn't even keep the fucking peace. But I don't see him coming back going with, Oh, now it's personal. Now I'm sober. <laughs> that, does, that doesn't track for me. That's why I'm willing to say, no, no, they, somebody reached into Ozzy's head and took this out and showed it to him. Maybe, but they also shot Lex Luthor. Yeah, well, <laughs> certain mental powers or what, what do you want me to tell you? It was a lightning, fire, power of God or something. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I think, meanwhile, also, uh, New Rorschach ate Batman's pancakes. Yeah, all right, let's get to the other one. Uh, we're we're <laughs> two issues in, and we've already got Batman and Rorschach face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Rorschach is many things. Uh, no one's ever said world's greatest detective. That's, Ooh, <laughs> no. I, I know it's a new Rorschach, but remember, the last one thought the comedian was killed by someone gunning for masks, which is about as wrong as yeah. you could get. Um, now, with that said, we all knew this was coming. Yes. This is fan service of the highest order. It has been fan art commissioned. I'm sure if Dave Gibbons is asked one more time, can you draw me Batman fighting Rorschach? He'll probably kill you, me, everybody can get his hands on. <laughs> He'll nuke New York. He'll do something. So we, we knew it was going to come. If it's coming, Okay. But Batman had better kick the living shit out of Rorschach. You better beat him like a rented mule. Just destroy him because nothing else makes any goddamn sense. Sure. <laughs> I, I'm serious. There's a certain amount of retconning of Watchmen going on just in this issue. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the idea that, and we're seeing it with uh, the mime and the marionette, the idea that uh, the villains that the heroes in Watchmen faced were some kind of superior threat that required the heroes to be that much better. Right. Now, we see some serious shit out of Mime and Marionette in this issue to the point where, oh, in the past, Dr. Manhattan might have been required to stop them. You know, Mime appears to have this ability to, oh, I'll just say I have a lockpick and I can pick locks and weird shit. Yeah, um, although I, I took the Dr. Manhattan thing as a... It, he he was generally expected to show up because it was intended to be a deterrent to others who would be also be attempted supervillains. Oh yeah, and it's part of Watchmen canon that you know. Okay, you you work for the government, but this is a world of costume adventurers. So at face value, you will fight crime and you will stop Moloch. But just in that bank robbery scene, we saw some reasonable abilities out of both Mime and Marionette. Yes. You know, her acrobatics and cutting off the guy's finger, his ability to just put his head through the window. So the implication is, oh, if this is the nature of the villain threat in the Watchmen universe, the heroes needed to be that much better. Um, but the problem is that doesn't track, except for Ozymandias catching a bullet in Watchmen, which none of the other heroes could even believe when they saw it happen. Uh, and so there was that, and we saw Night Owl and Silk Spectre beating the shit out of a bunch of stone knot tops, but even that left them completely wiped out and out of breath. Right. 
We have not seen any extraordinary fighting by any of the Watchmen heroes. I mean, Rorschach sneak attacks people. He literally, I'll take all the stuff out of your fridge and hide in the fridge so I can scare you and get control yeah. of you. The comedian fucking shoots people. Yeah, he's, he's not a kung fu master. Right. And also, if the supervillains in Watchmen were so goddamn badass that the costumed adventurers needed to be fighters that good, why didn't the supervillains basically take over the major cities in America once the Keen Act made costumed adventurers illegal? It's a good question. It doesn't. It's a good question because it's stupid. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. The whole theme of Watchmen is putting on a costume does not make you a bad motherfucker. It means there's something fucking wrong with you. You're not Bruce Lee when you put on spandex. It's because that's the only way you can come anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what it is. These are not bad motherfuckers. They're weird. They're fucked up. Yeah, that's well. the whole deconstruction and subtext of. Of any of the story is it doesn't make you normal. Batman, however, is fucking Batman. Yeah. Batman should be able to take out anybody in the Watchmen universe. And I will I will say he should also be able to take out Dr. Manhattan. Put a fucking door on the intrinsic field subtractor and don't turn it off. Yeah. I mean that kind of shit worked for the <laughs> Ghostbusters. Just leave it turned on. <laughs> <laughs> Until Peck turned it off, sure. Yeah, well, <laughs> Batman can afford the electric bill. Fuck it. And he's got, Bruce Bruce Wayne's got lawyers that Peter Venkman doesn't have. This so. is true. He would have gotten the permits. He would have taken care of things. Yeah, so, <laughs> so all right. We're going to see Watchmen and Batman. If it comes down to a fight, Batman needs to destroy Rorschach, or I'm not on board. This should not be a fair fucking fight. It shouldn't be even close. Rorschach's fighting abilities that are required to live in that universe versus Batman's fighting abilities. <laughs> well, well, they're already being shown at, as being at opposite ends. Um, Rorschach does not think highly of the various trophies that Batman has peppered the Batcave with. And that was one of the more clever moments in the issue. It's yeah. Like, yeah, keeping trophies like that, that's serial killer shit. <laughs> what serial killer? I killed someone with a giant penny and a giant dinosaur. <laughs> that's a good serial killer. That's a guy who knows how to get away with shit. Yeah. But that's also somebody who you know might not laugh at you if you said, yeah, so I created a giant squid monster. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> they went to the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, look, the sort of heavy-handed, but still, all right, I'm trying to be Alan Moore 1985 clever of the, the final scene of two panels, Batman on one side of the giant penny, Rorschach on the other side. Oh, two sides of the same coin. I get it. Next time, smack me in the mouth and shout it in my ear. <laughs> all right. But if it's going to turn into a fight, Batman should eliminate Rorschach like he's not even fucking there. Yes. Because the idea that anybody in the Watchmen universe able to fight at the level of Batman is the worst kind of fanfic that makes no sense and completely eliminates any kind of canon. At this point, I'm still kind of reeling with, oh, somehow you got the, the owl ship Mm-hmm. The fucking quantum tunnel. First of all, where's the bleed? Do we just not have that anymore? Is that not a thing in the multiverse anymore? Then even then I was willing to sort of accept fine that we have to have nukes fly to have enough energy to do whatever quantum tunneling that Ozymandias, the world's smartest man, who's never talked about traveling via the, the word multiverse is never brought up in no. Watchmen. And yet with his brain tumor, he's figuring this shit out. He also sees colors 
Um, <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure that uh, if left to his own devices, the unicorn from Happy would show up. <laughs> oh, I wish I was dead. Why am I talking about this fucking book? Because John's has the hubris to think that it's good and necessary and needed by ending with this final quote. We are torn between nostalgia for the familiar and an urge for the foreign and strange. So what you're saying is um, we're torn between wanting to go back and read the perfectly good story written by Alan Moore that didn't needed to be fucked with um, and an urge for the foreign and strange. Uh, Maybe you, Jeff, you in your desire to create new stories from something that didn't need to be fucked with feel that way. But you're assuming that the reader feels this way by including this particular quote, which then concludes with, as often as not, we are homesick most for the places we have never known. Well, yes, but you know what? I I know the Watchmen universe. This isn't the Watchmen universe. (laughs) No, but it's Jeff Johns. That guy was a jackass. (laughs) (laughs) I was just saying, there's a a certain amount of just, like this is a level of hubris we're dealing with in terms of creating this storyline. Uh, yeah, it's uh, none of this needs to happen, and that's why I keep latching on to what can what can I look at to make it so fun? This is just a thing that yeah happens in the bleed someplace. That's why we didn't see the bleed. It's just <laughs> this pocket universe inside the bleed. Uh, okay, it's because it, yeah, it's but we have seen the bleed because in the the Mid- Midnighter stories, there's they're up on that ship. Oh yeah. In the actual DC universe, the bleed is still there. Yeah. But we don't see the bleed as the owl ship quantum tunnels to the oh, DC universe. No. It just appears. Yes. So, look, I'm just trying to latch onto anything because if this is not fanfic, I'm so full of hate, it's hard for me to even find the words. As fan fiction, this is an imaginary story that I don't have to pay attention to. I can I can deal with it. Well, yeah, because it would be one thing if it was an Elseworlds kind of thing or, you know... Even something like a, a weird event like metal that's happening, I have no idea if that's actually having any impact on actual continuity. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of <laughs> tuned out of metal, actually. I'm not sure what's like, going on Like, it's an interesting that. story when I tune into it, but I, again, I don't know, particularly when you've also got Doomsday Clock going on, like, what's having an impact on the actual universe? Uh, yeah, it's impossible to say at any given time. Uh, Aquaman. You damn fool! <laughs> You're more useless than Aquaman! Uh, uh I'm going to go positive. Okay. Uh, the visuals are the best part of this book. Gary Frank yes. is a really good artist, and he's doing really good stuff with both DC and Watchmen characters. Um, and doing interesting Alan Moore-type stuff that I'm sure was scripted by Jeff Johns. The owl ship coming through the bat signal so that the eyes of the bat signal suddenly light up. Uh, after the owl ship crashes, Rorschach's mask not changing patterns for like six panels until Ozymandias wakes him up to show, okay, yep, he's alive and things are moving again. That's clever. And even though it's kind of dumb, the two sides of the same coin thing. And to be fair, again, if you go back and reread Watchmen, that's got a lot of similar kind of cheesy, oh, uh, here's an obvious visual to Mm -hmm. make my point. but again, nobody had ever done it before then. So it, I'm willing to give it a hell of a lot more latitude than I am now. I mean, this is another thing. It's We've talked about it before. It's like Blade Runner 2049. I'm walking into this and I want to hate it. I'm trying to find reasons 
to not hate it, but my instinct is, uh, no, this you shouldn't be doing this. Well, it's easier to hate this as we go right now because we're not seeing the whole story, at least with Blade Runner 2049. Is that what it, yeah. Um, you had the whole story there. That was it. <laughs> like, yeah. So it wasn't a question of, well, what's going to happen next week or, or in the next episode or in the next movie. That was the story. So you could decide based on the sum of the evidence whether or not you were going to buy it or not. Yeah. With this, since we're getting it issue by issue, I would have to reserve... I, I'm, I'm willing to reserve my opinion until all of them come out. However, in the meantime, it's very easy to just on an issue by issue basis go in and say, nope, that's fucked up and that's fucked up and this doesn't hang and this doesn't hang because we don't know what's going to happen in the next issue. And so our mind is already made up before we get to that next issue. And and that's what makes it tough. And the only defense that I can offer for myself is as much as I walked into Blade Runner 2049 going, this is going to suck. I pre-ordered it on Blu-ray. It's coming next week because yeah. I liked it better than I thought I was, at least enough to be like, I have to see that again. And I'm trying to open my mind that much with Doomsday Clock. But the only way I'm able to do it is to say this doesn't have any effect on the three versions of the book I have upstairs. If if it if it's like, oh no, this is canon, this is what these characters did afterwards, I'm going to have a problem. Now, well, I can take it as fanfic, but even as fanfic, it's kind of got to get better. I, I don't think it's going to have an impact on the books that you've read. The larger question is, does this have an impact on the DC universe as we know it? Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a bigger thing. If it's like, oh, and now uh, Dr. Manhattan is in the Justice League. I'm, <laughs> I, I can't imagine. Right. Even Dan DiDio in his worst cocaine-fueled hubris, <laughs> the hubris that created the New 52, I cannot imagine that he would say, you know, this is a good idea. That, yep, it's a <laughs> Justice League International. It's Blue Beetle <laughs> and Booster Gold and Rorschach. I can't imagine. I, I've got to believe this happens and then it's gone. Yeah. it's It has whatever effect it needs to have and... These characters from Watchmen move out and DC continues. That's going to be a whole different issue that I don't even want to contemplate at as this a, point. As opposed to are currently going to have to reside in the DC universe because Jeff Johns blew up their universe with nuclear weapons. Uh, which gets back to, oh no, Dr. Manhattan can undo it, except he can't because he has no free fucking will. Right. Ah. Uh. He exists at all points in time and cannot make any effect upon it. Uh, doomsday clock, everybody, because DC... We promised these scumbags a show. <laughs> <laughs> it's not irredeemably gone. You're going to have Rorschach with Batman. Either there's no fight or Batman kicks his ass. You take the comedian and make it a mental projection from either Saturn Girl or Simon or Scarecrow or something. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, uh, the thing that really sticks in my craw is, oh yeah, and by the way, just sort of as a side thing, I nuked New York in the Watchmen universe. Okay, we're that's that really pisses me off. That was that was a moment in this book where I'm like, you're gonna have to really convince me to stay on, Jeff. Yeah. All right, now we have talked about Doomsday Clock number two. Now I can get as loaded as I want, which is pretty damn. 
I'm loaded. Is there anything else we want to talk about? We're, we're sorry we're late talking about it. That's all right. You're just getting up ahead of steam for when the next one comes out. Like what, next week? Oh, God, it might be next week. <laughs> Jesus, God. <laughs> oh, all right. Anything else about this or uh, should we wrap it up? No, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, though. Um, Mime and Marionette are probably the most compelling characters in this so far. <laughs> I mean, that's... And that's only because... They are new to this series and not from the original Watchmen. Uh, yeah, it's they're <laughs> taking them from Punch and Julie makes them fit. They're definitely compelling. Do they fit in the original Watchmen? I don't think so. Again, their their skill set is above and beyond. Yeah, again, when we talk about supervillains in Watchmen, we're talking about Moloch, yeah. who, <laughs> you know, at his best, he's running a speakeasy. The Screaming Skull, who, oh shit, I ran into him at the supermarket. The They're Twilight, like tick villains. Uh, yeah, Twilight Lady, who's <laughs> like, I really want to, you know, get some sweet, sweet night owl f- cork. <laughs> <laughs> There's something wrong with me. <laughs> We're not talking about master fucking criminals here. No. So for these master criminals to be in that universe doesn't really map, but Jeff Johns can write compelling characters. So to come up with these out of the, you drop these in the DC universe, these are some of the best villains you've seen all year. Although you still can't not draw parallels. I see Mime and Marionette and I'm like, Harley Quinn will fuck your holes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And, and the even, Joker, oh my God. <laughs> and, and even then, I want to say I saw similar, it's been a while since I reread it, I saw similar pastiche characters in Michael Fife's Copra. So I don't even think Jeff Johns is the first person to do this. No, no. Now I got to reread Copra. You want a pastiche book that it's like, fine, it's its own thing and we know it's not going to affect anything? God, volume five is coming out soon. I got to pre-order that. <laughs> Great book. <laughs> Doing what Jeff Johns is trying to do with this, only the stakes are zero because it's self-contained and you know it and it's beautiful. And art that's in its own way as great as Gary Frank's. God damn it. <laughs> I really like the Jetsons this week. Jetsons was good. Jetsons is getting better. Spoiler, uh, George Jetson has telepathy in this issue. And a 14-inch cock? No, no, he does not have that. What did, what did I read? I don't know what you read. <laughs> But you were clearly reeling from the uh, <laughs> emotional trauma of, of Doomsday Clock 2. <laughs> uh, all right. Compounded by the horror of Batman 36. Oh, Batman. Or 38, rather. Batman 38 was tough this week. 38. Was tough. Uh, all right. Are we done? I think we're done. Uh, yeah, you I, need more beer. I'm out of beer. I really got to pee. I don't know where you found this particular episode of this podcast, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. We are on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash crisisoninfinitemidlives. We are on Twitter. Twitter handle is at infinitemidlife. Yes. Is that right? Mm -hmm. For one reason, that's the one thing that's different than infinitemidlives. Because I I set up the Twitter. Well, we (laughs) we drink. We're on Tumblr, I think. I haven't tried to log in in a long time. <laughs> Crisisoninfinitemidlives.tumblr.com. Uh, where else can you find us? Uh, you can always find us on iTunes, which is now Apple Podcasts. And if that's how you like to find your podcast media, you can subscribe to us through there. And also, if you get a chance, give us a review, give us a rating. It helps new people find the show. We are on Google Play. We're on Stitcher Radio. We're on TuneIn Radio. We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. 
And you can always email us, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. And I miss anything? I think you got it. All right. So this has been episode 169 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. We got to wrap up to turn the heat back on or this house is going to freeze. <laughs> I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. If Batman's going to fight Rorschach, I want them to bring in Kevin Maguire and redo the one punch. Agreed. And there's a commission. <laughs> <laughs>